you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to the book of Matthew, the first chapter. Uh, we, we've been in a series going through the book of uh, Matthew with the Sermon on the Mount, and we just com- uh, completed that Sunday. And so uh, as we have this Sunday right before Christmas and was thinking about where to uh, preach, I said, well, let's just stay in the, uh, in the, book, of, uh, in the book of Matthew. And um, uh, today's sermon may be a little, a little different. Uh, I don't know if you have ever wrestled with something, read through something, tried to get a little bit deeper insight on it. And uh, that's sort of the journey I've been on this week as uh, there's a question that has kind of been ringing through my mind for years and years as I read the Christmas story, and I never really got a good answer to it. And so I committed this week to try to see if I can figure out the answer. And at the end of this week, I may be committed to an institution. I don't know if I've really got this uh, all figured out, but it has taken me on an interesting, interesting journey. And, um, and so I just, this is like a Sunday morning where I'm going to just almost kind of bear with me and let's travel together. And uh, the title of the sermon is From Nazareth to Nazareth. The title is From Nazareth to Nazareth. And when you look at the story, the Christmas story, um, a lot of it begins in Nazareth. And then as you go through the, the, uh, whether it be Matthew and then through Luke, it comes up and it kind of ends there in Nazareth. So you go from Nazareth to Nazareth with a lot of things that have happened in between. But the focus I'd like to be on today is on Joseph. And it's interesting because when you read about Joseph in the Bible, you really have to look in Matthew to find out really anything about him. Uh, Luke, when it talks about the birth narrative, he just sort of says Mary who was betrothed to Joseph. And then there was Mary and there was Joseph. And that's about all you got on Joseph. And uh, most of it was talking about Mary. Well, then when you get to Matthew, you get this snippet in chapter one and some in chapter two about Joseph. And in these, just these very few verses, I think you can pull out a great deal about both Joseph and also about our God. So if we started in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, he says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So Matthew's getting ready to lay it out. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. So what does that mean? During that day, betrothal was kind of like an engagement. Is that when you decided that you wanted to marry someone, you would be betrothed to them. And being betrothed to them means they'd have a ceremony, have a party. And then the two of you would be there at that party. And sometimes there would even be the giving of a ring to pledge love and fidelity to each other. But you weren't officially married, but yet some people would even call you husband and wife 
It's just that the marriage had not been consummated. You didn't live with each other. She still lived with her family. You still lived with yours. It was almost like an engagement period. And so during that time, as this betrothal, you were to be faithful naturally to each other. And just if you could put it in our heads, it's kind of like an engagement period that gets you to the point, And then all of a sudden you have the wedding ceremony. And sure enough, usually about a year or so, then they would have a big ceremony. Uh, that would be the marriage ceremony. And uh, then he would take his bride and they would come together and then they'd be, you know, married uh, from, from that point, that point forward. And so it says in here that when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, so Mary and Joseph were uh, sort of engaged. And what we need to realize is, I don't know about you, but in my mind, whenever I look at um, nativities or, or think about it, I always think about Mary, you know, she's pretty young. Everyone says she was a teenager. And uh, probably the oldest, maybe 17 years old. And it's amazing. A lot of times when we see Joseph, he looks like a like a 30-year-old man or something. Uh, He was a teenager also. I mean, maybe 19, maybe 20 at the most. So he's just a young guy. And and so this this young couple are are the ones that are planning the rest of their life together. They're going to be married. And and so they feel like life is just going to be a, a normal life for them. But then some things change. It says, She was betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So before the marriage and the consummation took place, all of a sudden, she's found, which means this is no surprise to her because it is talked about in Luke chapter 1. And in Luke chapter 1, it tells the story. Here's Mary. She's engaged to Joseph. All of a sudden, Gabriel, the angel, comes to her face to face and says, I've got some news for you. You are going to carry a son, and it will be the Son of God. And you will carry this child, and this child will be holy and will set up its kingdom, and his kingdom will rule forever. And you will name this child Jesus. So they already says you're going to carry a child, it's going to be a boy, and you're going to name him Jesus. And in following the announcement, after the angel explained these two, these things to her, in some mysterious and miraculous way, God's spirit ushered into Mary's womb the life of the eternal Christ. And so after she tells her this, she then says, hey, you know your relative Elizabeth? You're here in Nazareth. She lives down in some town in Judah over here. She says, you know, she's six months pregnant right now. And... um I just want to let you know that she also has a child, and you know that they were having a hard time having children, and now all of a sudden she has this, and so uh, I, I just want to let you know about her, about what's going on in her own life. So as soon as the angel left, Mary took a journey to see Elizabeth. And as she journeys to see Elizabeth, the Scripture says that when she came into the house... And, and the person greeted her at the door. And as soon as Elizabeth in another room heard that voice, the baby with inside of her that was six months developed began to leap in her womb. And then when she sees Mary, she comes to Mary and she says to her, blessed of all women, you are blessed of all women because in essence is you are carrying the Messiah. 
Now, I don't know how she knew that. But God impressed it on her, and she right there knew it. And she told it. she says, the baby inside of me leapt when we heard your voice. You are carrying the Messiah. And then it says that Mary, for the next three months, stayed with her. Now, in the scripture, it says that after about three months, she then left. And then the very next verse says that then Elizabeth had her child. Now, I'm going to step out. I don't think it's too far of a limb, but I would think that Mary stuck around until the baby was born. I just don't know a whole lot of women that will come stay with you for three months, and then she says, hey, I got my due date tomorrow. Well, I'm out of town. No, you're going to be there. And, and you're going to be there. You're going to be for the birth. You're going to enjoy it. Be any help that you can be with her. And so, yeah, so she sticks around. And she's sticking around. The baby is born. And then after the baby is born, she has to journey back to Nazareth. Now, about any map you look at, whatever city is in Judah, it's going to be at least 70 miles to get up north to Nazareth. So she's got a 70-mile journey ahead of her, take her a number of days. And through those 70 miles, she has got to figure out, how do I explain this to Joseph? I'm four months in this process. How do I tell Joseph? I've had two burning questions that have always been in my mind. Number one, how in the world did she have that conversation with him? And the second question will come a little bit later. But the first question, how did you have that conversation? So what I did, I just sort of put myself in that position and said, this is how I think that it might have gone. I believe she set up a time with Joseph, and when she got back, he was all excited to hear about her trip and how things went. And uh, she said, well, let's just get together, and uh, let me just share some things with you. And so it could have gone something like this. We both know that the Scriptures teach that God moves in some ways that we do not understand. You remember Sarah and Abraham? You remember Sarah? She could not have children, and God promised Abraham that you would be the father of a great nation and that I will bless you with the son. And she was 90, and he was 100, and they still didn't have any children. And then miraculously, she was able to have a child, and he gave her this son. His name is Isaac, and he becomes one of the patriarchs, one of the fathers of the faith. She says, that is just miraculous. Joseph's sitting there saying, yeah, yeah. And you remember the story about Hannah? You remember Hannah could not have children. And every time she'd come to the temple, she'd pray and she'd say, oh God, I just want to have a son. And she finally got to that point where she says, God, if you'll just give me a son, I will take him and I will commit him to you and let him serve in the temple. I just want to have a son. And on one of those days when she visited the temple, the priest heard her and they prayed. And he says, God's going to answer your prayer. And sure enough, he did. And Samuel was born. And Samuel, one of the great priests in all of history, were there. He said, that was quite a miracle. Joseph over there said, yeah, yeah. That is. He says, and I just came back from Elizabeth's house. And I was with her. I was with her when she had her baby boy. Now, you remember how that she and her husband, Zachariah, and uh, he's a priest there in the temple, how they couldn't have children. And that was a desire of hers, but she was barren and could not have children. 
And then, and then you remember they talked about how Zechariah one day went into the temple and he saw this vision of God and then uh, he, he couldn't even speak after that. But, but he communicated to her that God told them that they were going to have a child and sure enough, a few days later, she's pregnant. And, and I was there when the baby was born. And here's the crazy thing. They named him John. And nobody understood why they named him John. It's not a family name. No one else would have guessed that. But you know what she said? Angel told him where to name him John. So they named him John. And there was a whole lot of buzz about this child's future. And in fact, Zachariah, his father, before I left, made the statement that he said, this child will be the one that will prepare the way for the Messiah. He is going to be one who prepares the way. Now, I don't know if she'd taken any seminary courses, but if you're following with the story, we got three Ps right there. We got a patriarch, we got a prophet, we got a preparation of the way, okay? So she tells that story. He prepares the way. He's the one who's going to prepare the way and prepare the way for the Lord, for a Messiah. That is just flat out amazing. We serve such an amazing guy. Joseph's just sitting there saying, wow, this has been quite a three months that, that, that you've had. And then she says this, well, I want to share something else with you that's even more amazing. But first of all, Joseph, I want you to know how much I love you and I look forward to being your wife. I want you to know that I have always been faithful to you and I'm saving myself unto marriage. About four months ago, an angel appeared to me and said that I will give birth to, are you sitting down? The Son of God. And he said, this child will be holy and his kingdom will rule forever. A little bit of silence. And then Joseph says, wow, that's incredible. So when is all this supposed to happen? Her response is this, it's already happening. I'm four months into it. The angel even told me that it would be a boy and that we were to name him Jesus. Now, you know I'm not making this up because we went through our premarital counseling and we talked about one day having children and we discussed, we discussed boy baby names and Jesus was not even in the top five. <laughs> But yet, that's what we're supposed to name him. We're to name him Jesus. And I can tell by the look on your face that you're a little bit in disbelief. And I was too. But then I went to Elizabeth's house. She said that her baby leapt in her womb. And she told me that I was the most blessed among women to carry the Son of God in my womb. How would she know if it were not true? You know her husband's in the ministry. And these ministry wives don't joke about a thing like that. So I just wanted to give you an update on what's been happening with me. So how's your week been? So what's going to happen? And how is Joseph to respond to that? I think that's about the best way to try to share the news with him. Then all of a sudden the ball's in Joseph's court. And so what do you do? This is not like some mid-30s guy. This is probably 18, 19-year-old teenager. And the woman that he has pledged his love to has just given him a very sensational story. And he's got to figure out what his next step is. Well, look what it says in verse 19. 
In verse 19, it says, and her husband Joseph, being a just man. This is a part of his character. He is a just man. That means he's a righteous man. He is one who wants to do the right thing. He wants to act according to the requirements of the law, and he wants to fulfill the demands of God. And this is where he's got to struggle. Because if he follows through and marries her, it would almost seem like he's condoning her sin, which he thinks is adultery, if he doesn't accept the story that it is an angel. And so he says, she has ple- we have pledged our lives together. She has broken this pledge. And so I got to figure out what my options are. Now, during that day, one of the options was, was most likely not to stay together. They just didn't do that. If you're betrothed to someone, you're engaged to someone, and they're unfaithful to you before you even get married, that's usually not a thing where we'll just, we'll just kind of look over that and still stay together. Rarely anybody does that. And plus, him as a righteous man wants to do what is right and what is according to the law, and so he's kind of torn here. But he does have two options according to the law and the custom of that day. The first option is this. He can make her a public example by summoning her before a court and accuse her of adultery. Bring her before the court and publicly humiliate and disgrace her. Then what's sad is there was a law in the Old Testament that said if a virgin who is betrothed commits adultery, she should be stoned. Now, everyone wasn't doing that, but if you went to the nth degree of the law, she could be stoned. And he could, within his rights, and according to the laws of that day and the customs of that day, bring her before the court and publicly humiliate her and disgrace her. That's one of the options that is on the table for him. And this would be in Nazareth. Nazareth is in a small town. How many of you have ever lived in a small town? Will you raise your hand? Small town people, raise it high. Don't be ashamed on that. Yeah. Small towns are different than big cities. Am I correct? Okay, small town. Does word travel fast or slow in a small town? Fast. Do people have short memories or long memories? (laughs) Did you see how y'all said long? Long. Yes, long memories. Small town Nazareth. You bring her up before court, everybody's going to be there. Word's going to be out. Her reputation is sunk. And there's not a whole lot of places for her to go. That's one of his options. But then there's a second option. The second option is to privately sever the relationship with a bill of divorcement before two witnesses, which means you could have a private gathering, have a judicial person there, serve her a bill of divorcement, have two witnesses, sign off on it, and just move on. Then it's just a matter of whatever people say, that's going to happen, but what you've done is you've taken the high road and you've not disgraced her. 
So how do you do? Well, it says in verse 19, verse 19, her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Wow. Unwilling to put her to shame. So what do you see about the personal character of Joseph here? As I looked at this, I just saw some things that jumped out at me. He was righteous. He was upright in character. He wanted to do the thing that was right in God's eyes. He was compassionate. And he was considerate. He didn't want to publicly disgrace her or ridicule her. He wanted to maintain his own personal righteousness according to the law, yet he wanted to save Mary from public disgrace. So there was a compassion there and there was a consideration there. He was forgiving. When it says divorce her quietly, he was forgiving. You say, Danny, how do you know he's forgiving? It doesn't take a big stretch to know that if he was still mad and he did not forgive her, he would have been dragging her through the mud. In order to dismiss her quietly, there had to be some forgiveness there to say, I don't understand all of this, but I'm going to forgive you. But it's just not going to work with us. But I don't want to disgrace you. He was deliberate. The first part of verse 20 says, but as he considered these things. This was not something where they sat across the table and she shared her news with him. And he said, well, I'll tell you what I'm getting ready to do. I'm getting ready to do option number two. Not at all. He had to deliberate. So we had to think about it. He had to weigh it over. He had to mull it over. He had to pray about it. He had to go through it in his mind over and over. Figure out this. Figure out that. What is the right thing to do? What would God have me to do? What is best for Mary? What's best for me? What what am I supposed to do? To me, I just pick up from there that this is a huge struggle. This is not some cut and dry. This is real easy to do. So he said, I've just made the decision to quietly divorce her, to quietly push her off to the side. It's deliberate. The very last thing I know is that he loves her, that he loves her. And that's because he didn't lash back, but he showed that he still had a love for her. And I'm going to build that argument in just a moment with what the angel said. So you got a man, Joseph, a personal character, 18, 19 year old, young person, Tough decision with the woman that he loves. So what happens? He's made the decision. I'm going to put her aside. Quiet divorce. Look what it says in verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The first thing the angel said, folks, don't miss this. Look what he says. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. What an interesting thing to say. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Where's the fear? What do you mean fearful? Don't fear to take her as your wife. Well, more I look at it, if you don't fear to take, what is your fear, Joe? What are you fearful the most if you take her as your wife? Well, I don't want to look like that I'm condoning adultery. Don't fear to take her as your wife. It's not adultery. Well, I, you know, I, I'll be going against the custom of that day. Nobody has someone that, that is unfaithful to them and then stays married to them. And he says, don't fear this. You don't fear taking her as your wife. 
She's telling you the truth. Dig down deeper. What else is it that you fear? I fear what everyone's going to say in Nazareth. Because she's already four months pregnant. And then as she gets along further, everybody's going to know one of two things happened. Either she was unfaithful or else we got together early before we got married. And neither one of those are good. And especially in this community and where we live. There'll be gossip. There'll be the stigma always placed on us. There'll be false accusations that, that, that how, how, how am I, I going to handle this? Am I supposed to tell them the angel story? Yeah, I'm fearful of all of that. And the first thing the angel said is, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Now, I told you that I felt that he loved her, and this is why I know that he loved her, because the angel says, don't fear to take her as your wife, which means you really love her. You want her to be your wife. I'm telling you, don't fear to take her as your wife. Angel didn't come and say, hey, I know you're ready to get out of this situation and, and you know, she was just a flame of yours and there are other people out there you'd like to get with, but hey, to make this whole thing work, I really need you to stay with Mary. No. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Don't fear. You want to take her as your wife. I do. I love her with all of my heart. I want to see this happen, but don't fear it. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. And so, she gives, Gabriel gives, the, the angel gives him the whole, whole story. Here's burning question number two. This is the one that I could never figure out. Why didn't Gabriel tell them at the same time? Wouldn't it have been easier? I know God wishes that I was alive at that time, so I could have told him that from someone who leads organizations and talks about communication, you know, I could have saved the angel another trip. You don't need two trips. You just make one trip. Okay, you remember the big betrothal party that they had? Everybody was there. It was a high time. It was all exciting. Why couldn't right when the party was over and they're just kind of hanging out and they're sitting over there watching the sunset, the Galilean sunset? Why can't you just kind of come up alongside them and say, hey, we are so happy for you guys. And uh, uh, I know you're excited about the betrothal party and that one day you're going to get married and you got a good future for you. Hey, let me tell you the future we really got for you. It's great. You're going to have the son of God. You're going to have the Messiah. Joseph, you're going to be the one that gets to raise him over here. And, and so let me just put my arms around you two kids and say, this is going to be a great time and it's going to work good. Are we with you? Put your hands in there. Let's go. Hey, all right. That's the way you should have done it. And we didn't have to go through all this drama. Mary didn't have to go through four months of worrying about what am I going to say to Joseph. Joseph doesn't have to go through, I don't know how many days or weeks that he had to struggle with to try to figure out his decision. And I never have figured out the answer to that question. Why talk to them at separate times? Why not just sit there and lay it out to them and then move on? Well, there's a verse of Scripture that the older I get, the more I just nod my head and say, yep. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, 
So are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Bottom line, God says, Danny, you and I think in two different dimensions. My thoughts are so much higher than yours. And I will do things that from your standpoint don't make sense. But from my standpoint, he says, they make perfect sense. God told Mary first, and then four months later, she had to try to explain this to Joseph, knowing deep in her heart that it would be a long shot for him to believe her story. So why do you do it this way? I'm just going to give you what I think. Some may say, well, maybe God wanted to test Joseph and uh, just kind of see what kind of character he had or the love that he had for Mary. So he wanted her to share and just see what his reaction would be. It might be, but I don't, I don't think, think that is it. I think that what God is doing is he is preparing Mary and Joseph for a difficult journey. There would be more pressures than either one of them could imagine. And they need to be strong as a couple, committed to the Lord and committed to each other. Because he is preparing them for a journey that will take them from Nazareth back to Nazareth. And this young couple, these teenagers have somehow got to be strong enough in their commitment to each other and their commitment to the Lord to make this work. I drilled a little bit deeper. I, I, I really wasn't leaning to the idea that God wanted to see how Joseph would react. God already knew Joseph. He already knew what was inside of him. He knew Joseph's character. That wasn't a problem. He wanted Mary to know his character. He wanted Mary to see what was inside this man that God had chosen to be the earthly father to raise his son. And it was one thing that God would know the qualities of Joseph, but it's even more importantly that the woman that, he, that was going to marry him, that she knew his qualities. I just see that. See if they went with the Danny Wood plan. If the angel sits down with Joseph and Mary and says exactly what I said, you're going to have a child on that, what do you think about that, Joseph? Hey, could you ever imagine an angel from God sitting down, giving you news, and then asking, what do you think about that? Would you ever think that you would ever go, nah, I don't think that sounds too good? No. You know why? Because every time an angel came, you know the first words out of every angel's mouth, anytime they met someone, don't be afraid. <laughs> it's because they're intimidating. And when they sat there with his little teenage wife, his little teenage boy, he's going to look up and go, yeah, this is a great idea. I'm all over it. It sounds good. I like it. I mean, he's clueless. He doesn't know. And so now all of a sudden, when they began to go through difficult times, and they began to go on these journey, which is unbelievable in their first few years of marriage, all the things that they're having to happen to them. Is Mary going to sit there and say, is Joseph really into this thing? Or is he regretting that he feels like he got hooked into this and had no say in it? And is she always going to be worried about what is going to happen? Who's going to lead in this thing? Where is Joseph in this thing? I just think that God set it up this way. So that Mary could get a glimpse into who Joseph is. And to hear 
how Joseph responded to the news that she gave him. You see, what happens is that God is giving her a front row viewing of the character of Joseph. And what she sees is a man who does not dismiss her or disgrace her, but wrestles with what is right and the honorable thing to do. She sees a man who truly loves her, but at the same time follows God's demands for righteousness first. Because when he is talking to her and he's telling her, I'm going to have to have to do a quiet divorce, it is because I've got to follow the demands of God first. And that's why I feel like I have to do this. But I love you with all of my heart. And so she sees a man who's choosing God first. But now she's seeing Joseph's reaction is he has to process this sensational story. And as she sees that, it should give her confidence that he truly loves her and that along the way, he will not bail out on her. He's not going to bail out on her. When Mary tells him and sees Joseph's reaction and what he struggled with, how he handled all of that, she has to have walked away disappointed in the decision that he's made. I don't even know if he'd even communicated that decision to her yet. It might have been what he's already put in his mind. He probably he may not have communicated with her. But when she walked away, she said, well, he sure took that better than I thought he would. And he sure is handling it like a man of 18 or 19 years of age. And she saw something in Joseph. But you see what I love in this story is that not only did Mary see that, but the favorite part of all of this to me is verse 24. And it says, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And in my Bible, it's got a colon. I love when you put a colon, what comes on after that's powerful. This is what the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. It's a rocky moment. <laughs> he took his wife. You know what he did? He was asleep. God spoke to him. He woke up that next morning. He didn't argue about it. He didn't say, well, let me think about this. Oh, gosh, what are the people in Nazareth going to say? Forget all that. You know what he did? He took his wife. And what it mean by took his wife is he says, we're going to get married. Let's make this thing final. And he did. He took his wife, brought her to his home. They became married, but didn't consummate the marriage until after the baby was born in order for the prophecy to be fulfilled that he shared from Isaiah. He took his wife. Man, when he walked into her house and knocked on that door and he says, my decision has been made. I love you with all of my heart and I can't wait to be your husband and to be the father of Jesus. And I like that name. I'm with that name, okay? Guess what? Angel told me we're going to name him Jesus. Let's go on this journey together. Woo. What do you think that meant to her? I think it spoke volumes. And she knew he wasn't coerced into it because some angel was there when they were both sitting there looking at each other. He had an opportunity to really digest it, think about it. And then when that angel came to him, really what the angel said, it says, I'm just confirming Mary's story. Now you make the decision. You want to go with this or not go with this? And he said, man, that's all I've been ready. I've just been waiting to get some kind of confirmation. I love her with all of my heart and I'm getting ready to go do this. And I will be glad to be the earthly father of God's son. And he did that. Wow. Took his wife. Personal character and prompt obedience. If you think about Joseph, you can just remember those two phrases. 
Personal character, prompt obedience. Angel told him that night, he woke up that next morning, he took his wife. Guess what happened? They're there, all of a sudden, she's about nine months pregnant. There's a census that takes place in Bethlehem. They got to travel all the way to Bethlehem. They travel to Bethlehem. There's no room in the inn. They have a baby. The baby is there in a, uh, in sort of in a cave area. And after that child is born, they live in Bethlehem for about two years. As they're living there in two years, Herod's all upset and he's mad because he, these wise men have come and said, Hey, there's some king of the Jews is born. And so, uh, he wants to find out where they are. He doesn't know exactly where this Jesus is. So he comes up with a plan and says, send my soldiers into Bethlehem and any child, any son that looks to be close to two years of age is slaughtered. And so the angel comes and comes to Joseph. And he says them in verse 13, he says, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Prompt obedience. This is what he's known for. The angel said, Herod is already starting the search. What if Joseph says, well, you know, I got a new business. I've been here two years. Uh, the carpentry business is working pretty good. People are responding pretty well. Give me just a couple weeks or so, and, and, and then I'll go, no, you got to do it now. And he did, and he saved him. Then all of a sudden, he gets to Egypt. He begins to get settled in Egypt. Guess what? Herod dies. Then they come back, and look what he tells him. He says, then you come to verse 20 and he says, angel came to the Lord, appeared to him in a dream. He says, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. All right, we get to go back to Israel. Let's go back to Bethlehem. We already got our business established there. We got contacts there. Let's go back to Bethlehem. Bad news. Herod died, but his son is ruling that area. Now, there's an area up in Galilee ruled by a man who's kind of friendly to folks. So you might want to live up in Galilee. Do you know what town is in Galilee? It starts with an N. Tell me what it is. Nazareth. Now, let me ask you, would you want to go back to Nazareth? I don't think I'd want to. I could answer all those questions. You remember that fear I had about the stigma, the gossip, and all of that? Guess where they went? Back to Nazareth. And God says, this is where your journey is. You can start in Nazareth. We're going to come over here. We're going to end in Nazareth. And as you go up there, guess what he did? He rose up. He took his family. And he went to Nazareth. Wow. You see, God had prepared him for his journey. And he was ready. He was a man of personal character. He was prompt obedience and says, God, whatever it takes, I will do. When we get up to Nazareth, I know there will be the little snippy comments and there'll be some gossip out there and there'll be some questions on that. But you know what? We're ready. We're ready for this. We'll handle it. God prepared him for the journey. And as he's getting ready to take that journey up to Nazareth, his Mary puts her hand in Joseph's and knows that she's with a strong man, a strong leader that's going to stand with her. He's not going to bail out on her. And we're going to go through this journey together. And we're going to raise 
the Christ child, this son, Jesus, that we've been blessed with. And what would be ringing in their ears is what the angel told Joseph. He will be here to save his people from their sins. And to know as this child grows older that one day this child will go to a cross and will die for the sins of all humanity. And in the tears of watching him die for those six hours, then become shouts of joy three days later when he's risen from the dead. Sin is conquered. Death is conquered. And Jesus says, heaven's wide open if you will accept me as Savior. And he says, I give you this incredible grace gift if you will accept it. Wow. And these parents, Joseph and Mary, kind of got it all started. And the angel's talking to them in Nazareth. They prepped their way. They ended up in Nazareth. And they helped the trajectory for Jesus in his life. As we close out today, I want you to think about those three things. Your own personal character, does it match up with, with, the, uh, with the words of God and the demands of God? Prompt obedience. When God, you read something in Scripture and God guides you and directs you, prompt obedience. And the other thing is to know that God is preparing you for the journey. And as you go through this Christmas season, some of you are going through some tough journeys. I want to let you know that if we follow him, he will prepare us as we go along the journeys. Some of the roads will be difficult. Some of the timing may not seem like it makes sense. But our God has promised that I will prepare you for the journey and I will be there each step of the way. He did it with Mary and Joseph. He'll do it with each one of us. Because we're his children. We've been adopted into his family when we've received Christ as Savior. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Father, thank you so much for your son Jesus and for salvation. And uh, during this Christmas season, I pray that each of us will take just a moment, take an inventory of our own lives. And if there are places that we're hesitant to be obedient to you, that we would remove those things and we'd be prompt in our obedience to you. And Father, for areas in our lives that, um, that would be a character, that would be in contrast to what your word says, may we make those adjustments so that we're living a righteous life like a kingdom citizen. And Father, every day, help us to start with you to know that you will be the one that's preparing the road that it lies ahead of us. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.